Okay, if you'll open your Bibles, please, and that does sound better. I think my microphone had fallen. It was distracting and was trying to, to hear. Is this okay for volume levels for, for people? Gordon, I, I, look for, I look for Gordon and, and others. So, okay, good. Good. We don't want a distraction. Uh, that way I don't want to feel like I'm yelling until it's time to yell, if it's time to yell. Acts chapter 13, verses 4 through 12. This is quite the, the story in our, our narrative, and if we'll look there, we'll read that, and, and uh, this is our text for today. God's word says this, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. So let's please be seated and let's pray. Lord, thank you for the privilege of hearing your word. Thank you for where we are in your text this morning. We ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, who's uh, been invoked throughout this passage and and who we have called upon to open the eyes of our hearts. May you, by the Holy Spirit's power, help us as we interact with the text. Help us learn what we need to learn and and grow where we need to grow and be uh, convicted where we need to be convicted. But Lord, it's all you and your power working in us. So help us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's a lot going on in these nine verses. When I was a little kid and I would hear these Bible stories read, the only thing I could think about was somebody with the power to walk in and say, you're going to be blind. (laughs) And they were blind. And I thought, there's a superpower. There's something to behold. And at the start, when I was selecting the songs, it was all, I said, well, we'll do a Fanny Crosby because she was blind. If you don't know that, she was actually a local uh, person and and a lot of her songs. If you look her up in the hymn book, she talks about uh, what it will be like to see Jesus. And so we can sing lines like we just did about what wonder or wonder our transport when Jesus we see. Well, she was a little girl who had been given some medicine and and uh, uh, she couldn't remember a time when she could see. Uh, I was thinking more about blindness and, and and opening eyes, and then I started to see there's a whole lot more in this text than just blindness and seeing as a theme. It's like buying an 
album. Remember albums? You buy an album because you like that one song, and then you realize there's a whole album, and there's a lot of art, and they used to think about how they position things. And I was telling Tito, I, my first jazz album I ever bought was a Chick Corea album, and I liked one song. And then you started thinking about it, and he finally named his band Return to Forever after that one album. And there's themes throughout his body of work. And you go, it's more than just about that song. It's about everything around it. In this text, it's more than just about Paul saying, you're going to be blind. There's more going on here than that. I'm thinking, really what's happening here, and and the the key phrase, and, and something for us to ponder, and what I want us to think about, is what does it mean when he said, you are making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? What does it mean to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And the question that we ask ourselves as we uh, live in 21st century Christianity and churches and all of these, uh, what kinds of churches we have and this type and that type and who we cater to and all that. How are we guilty? Or how can we be guilty if we're not? What must we watch out for? That we, in our gospel presentation, in our own approach to our own Christianity and our rightness with God, how is it possible to make crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Think about this. Verse 10. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? So if I was teaching an ESL class, and maybe for some of you younger ones who haven't heard this, you don't hear this so much except maybe in the movies, but you say, how far is it to whatever place? And you got some old geezer saying, well, you go by the, the, the Smith house that burned down. You take a left. You go about three miles till you see the barn with the, and they tell that. But they say, as the crow flies, it's two miles. As the crow flies. What does that mean? It's not really about a crow. It's not really about how the crow flies. But they're saying, if you went there direct, it's much shorter. A bird can get there directly. We wander around. I want us to think this morning about the gospel of Jesus Christ, about what makes us Christians, and say, how do I make sure I am not making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? What's the gospel? What's Christianity? So we're going to think about this. There's two points this morning. We're especially going to cover this in the second point, which is the Holy Spirit and personal salvation, which is in verses 7 through 12. But first, consider the Holy Spirit and mission strategy. That's in verses 4 through 6. The book of Acts takes a real dramatic turn. Uh, We've been here for a couple of months. We've seen Peter. We've seen Stephen. We've seen Philip. We've seen... Uh, the beginnings of of the office of deacon as they set aside people to do diaconal type work. Uh, We've we've, uh, seen persecutions, uh, all of those things, prison breaks that the Holy Spirit helped. But now in Acts, from here till the end of the book, uh, with a little tiny bit in Acts 15, this is about Paul and the missionary journeys. Don't think that the only missionary activity going on was Paul, and everybody else was just sitting around watching the exploits of Paul. Uh, Disciples were going south, and disciples were going east. 
Uh, they say Thomas went to India, for instance. Uh, uh, they say uh, that, that as, they, as they trace church history in the missionary movement. But God, in giving us his word, has chosen to focus on Paul and Paul's actions. And so this is Paul's first missionary journey. And this is the Holy Spirit sending Paul and Barnabas out. Remember last week they laid hands on them and and, uh, sent them out as a mission, and it was the whole church getting behind them for that mission. The Holy Spirit and mission strategy. It says in verse 4, they went down from Seleucid, from there they sailed to Cyprus. Why Cyprus as their first place? Well, on a human level, Barnabas was from Cyprus. Acts 4, 36 and 37. It says, thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So when Paul and Barnabas were going into Cyprus, it wasn't really foreign territory for them. That's where Barnabas grew up. Then we see in Acts eleven nineteen and 20, the gospel had already been there somewhat. It says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So for this first work that the Holy Spirit had said, set apart these two, I have a work for them. The first work that they did was to go to a place that was at least somewhat familiar to some of them. A connection already. God was already working. He prepared some soil there. When they went into Cyprus, the Bible tells us they had a strategy. This strategy would be repeated. The first thing they did is they went to the synagogues and they found the Jewish people there. That was their mission plan. They started speaking to the Jews. Uh, They went through the whole island as far as Paphos, it says. So if you get there, somebody was looking at a map. Somebody was saying, here's the island, here's the towns. There was a plan. Is it wrong to have a plan to share the gospel? Got this email from our denomination. And boy, it sounded pretty bold and it sounded interesting. I I need to read it a few more times to really think. Uh, New mission of the world. We're going to mission of the world president. If you have anybody in your church, uh, we really want to focus on sharing the gospel with Muslim people. And by the year 2030, we will have this many churches, we'll be in this many countries, we'll be in this. And I thought, that's a, I don't, well, good. What do we say? If you fail to plan, you plan to fail. If you aim at nothing, you'll hit it. Uh, there was a plan, there was a strategy, there was a method of how they were going to reach the people. We're not saying that that's wrong. Is it a sin to have a plan? No. But this does not contradict the fact that they were sent by the Holy Spirit. If you were to share the gospel with people, and you would start with a group of people, Uh, maybe the best strategy would be to go to the synagogues first. 
These people had the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures. They believed that they were given by God. There was a faith in in one God and not a multiplicity of gods. And you could start there, and that could be your anchor. Uh, You don't have to convince people that the Bible is true. You just have to convince people that the Bible, when it's talking about uh, the sacrifices and about the Messiah, you just have to say, Jesus is the Messiah. Not a bad tactic. There was a different tactic when Mars Hill came into the picture. And Paul was walking down that pagan street. And he saw all of these statues to all these various gods. And his strategy at that point was to say, I noticed you guys have a statue for the unknown god. Let me tell you who that unknown god is. Uh, There's a way to reach people. And you think about how you reach people. Listen to this, listen to these, these couple of verses as Paul's writing about his mission strategy. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23. This is good for us to think about as we interact with a wide variety of people in our lives. Paul said, For though I'm free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Uh, Usually if you describe somebody, you go, man, she's all things to all people. That's a bad thing. That's somebody who has no convictions of her own or his own. That's somebody who is a chameleon and you can't pin them down. That's slippery. In this context, though, Paul is saying, listen, there's a goal. All of these different people people who are religious, people who are irreligious, people who are uh, post-Christian but grew up in a Christian culture but aren't Christians themselves, people that are out-and-out pagans that don't know anything about God, all of them have one thing in common. They are lost. They are on their way to hell. And I want to glorify God, says Paul, and I will become like them. I will find ways to relate to them. I was thinking in church history of a group of people called the Moravians who uh, got so burdened, some of the people in the Moravian camp, so burdened about the slaves down uh, in our hemisphere that had no churches and no God. It was just a a horrible life of slavery. And, and, And you think about what kind of a life is that? And then to die without Christ. And these Moravians sold themselves into slavery so they could become slaves. So as they uh, endured the slavery with the people, they could share the gospel with them and talk about the freedom that is in Christ. Uh, All things to all people. They had a strategy. They had said John Mark was with them. Mark didn't have hands laid on him, but there was a ministry team around them. What was Mark's job and the others that were with them? Uh, 
some kind of support, some kind of mission, some kind of, uh, of work. And so there was a team and there was a strategy and people were chosen for various reasons on these missionary trips. If what, if what Jesus said at the very end of Matthew to his disciples applies to us as his disciples, what we call the Great Commission, if that does apply to us, where he said, do you remember he said, go into all the world, or some people translate it as you are going into all the world, go into all the world and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, and lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the earth. If that applies to us, then it's good for us to think about how to share the gospel and effectively communicate the gospel. We know the Spirit is the one who saves. We also have the Spirit saying through Paul to the Jewish people, to the religious people, in other words, I became as one who was religious. I understood them. We came up here and I said, uh, 16 years ago, I said, we've got to, in the same way that we would parse the scriptures, we would look at it, we would say, here's what this This is a verb. This is the text. This is how this fits into Scripture. In the same way, you parse your community. And there are ways to share the gospel, but it's got to be the gospel that's shared. About, uh, oh, maybe 25 years ago in our denomination, they realized that church plants were actually a drain uh, that, that, that people planting churches could do better. They had about a 50% failure rate. People would say, I feel called by God to go in here and plant a church. And people would say, let's get together and plant a church. And they would raise all this money for various, you know, pastor's salary and taking care of his kids and this and that and buildings and all this strategy. And about 50% of those churches across evangelicalism, not just Presbyterian, BCA, but 50% of them were failing. And moreover, these pastors who'd gone in here with all these... uh, uh, hopes and, and, and true desires were feeling burned out. They were feeling like failures. Uh, they were feeling like God was a failure, what was going on. And so our denomination started this thing called the Assessment Center. And they would take potential church planters and their wives, because what a key component. And they would look and they would they would evaluate. And uh, they would by God's grace, it, it turned the, the rate around of, of churches that were begun as plants 90% of a, of a success rate. Well, is that sin? Is that not trusting in God? Well, they were clear at the assessment center, we're not talking about your calling as a minister of the gospel. But boy, they, Paula and I went down, and uh, we got, I tell you what, no such Christians don't have luck, so can't say we got lucky. But they'd had all these big super classes of all these dynamic, wonderful people and following us. We were in the smallest class. And I even saw notes from one of the pastors, not at the assessment center, but afterwards up here locally, that said, well, it was a pretty weak class. <laughs> so, so Paul and I got in there in a weak class. And there were probably, I don't know, nine or ten couples. One of the things they had us do is, is in our group, they divided us divide us into groups, and we had to choose our leader, and they're all, like, watching us. 
and we had Las Vegas, Nevada from 20 years ago. And we were supposed to talk about and come up as a team how we would go about strategizing and planning a church. Is that sin? Did Paul not have a strategy meeting? Wasn't there a, some sort of a plan? I don't think it was a sin. Uh, only three of the couples, they said, we feel like you should go plant a church and you have our endorsement. And this is Paul and I further being not lucky, but whatever the Christian equivalent, this is God's providence. Two of those people already had a place to go. So here's all these congregations out here, and they're looking to this church planning center, and it's Paula and I, and we sat down with that guy. Have you even forgotten his name? He just, he laughed. He said, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go? See, there's churches that want PCA churches planted all over, and because one guy was already committed, he and his wife, to Florida, and one guy was already committed to Ohio, and those people sent us. And so Paula and I, we said, well, we'll take, we'll just, we want to take one at a time. We want to pray. We want the Holy Spirit to be in this. We visited down in Naples, Florida. It just wasn't right. And then the church in Delaware that had sent us said, well, we'd like you to, to, to plant a church. But my old church, all those people said, well, we'll, if you plant a church, we'll come there. And that wouldn't have been like a church plant. That would have been more like a church split. And we didn't want to do that. And we came up here to Danbury, and we took some time apart from each other and prayed about it and, 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 and wanted to just say, what's God? Where's God in this? But if you think about, if you go to plant a church in Naples, Florida, or if you go to plant a church in Delaware, or you go to plant a church in Danbury, you would have to have a strategy that's a little bit, at least an understanding of the community that's a little bit different. I remember leaving, um, leaving as we pulled out to head back down to Delaware, and I went through, I think we went through the McDonald's on, uh, on exit two or three or wherever that is, four I think it is, and just seeing the girl that was taking our order at the window. And we'd read that Brazilians were the number one, it's like the number one capacity or per capita in Danbury for the Brazilian population. And this girl, I think, was a Brazilian. And I, I prayed, I said, God, if you're bringing us back up here, help us, Lord, to understand and, and, and have a ministry that way. There's nothing wrong with a strategy. There's nothing wrong with them saying, let's go to the synagogue first. There's nothing wrong with, with um, the plans they had. But what is wrong is if you change the straight paths of the gospel to suck up to people. If you say, I'm going to be all things to all people, People don't like to hear about sin or hell anymore, the survey says, so I'm going to stop talking about that. Then all of a sudden, uh, you've messed around with the truth of the gospel, with the straight paths of the gospel. What's the purpose of a church? Remember one person at a church planter seminar, he said this, he said, just remember, you PCA pastors, you're not going to set up a refugee camp for all the disaffected reform people in the area. You're going there to share the gospel with people who need salvation. But what is a church? 
the gathering and perfecting of the saints. This is the people who God has chosen, just as he chose these people in this text, before they're even saved, you're going to share the good news of Jesus Christ, and that's your church. Problem is, if you come up and you say, well, I've got a different plan for what kind of a church. This is our church's brand. This is the kind of church we are. Wait a minute. There's not a different kind of church. Churches are churches according to the Bible. What does a church do? Three things and you have a church. This is church planting. This is church polity. This is 101. Three things a church does. If the church does these things, it's a church. If it doesn't do these things, it's not a church. First is they have to have a really good softball team for the church softball league. Second thing is they have to have a website that's really accessible and people need to be seen having fun and smiling. No frowns on the website. And third thing is they have to have a real kicking band with some good activities, maybe some lights, smoke machine. Those three things. Babylon B had an article one time. This is satire. And the headline was this. Smoke machine breaks during worship service. Holy Spirit stops working. <laughs> and they interviewed the worship ministry. He goes, well, we've bought a second smoke machine now because I'll never let that happen again. We were worshiping the Lord, and when the smoke machine stopped, the Spirit stopped working. No, those aren't the three things you need for a church. Three things that make up a church. One is the preaching of the gospel. God's word preached. Second thing, the proper administration of the sacraments. You've got baptism in the Lord's table. You've got to have that. If you don't have that, uh, we're a church that doesn't do baptisms. We just, we don't see it that way. Uh, we don't do the Lord's table. It's confusing. We, there's so many. Wait a minute. Preaching, sacraments, And then we would say discipline slash discipleship, the growth of the people, the caring about the people, the teaching them the word, the helping them walk or or, or being helped walk in our faith. Those three things. The rest is gravy. And you might do other things in addition to that. Um, There may be things you do. uh, This Wednesday morning men's group that sits around and, and, and looks and we fellowship with each other. But that's part of that. That's part of the gospel. That's part of the discipleship. That's part of what's going on. Uh, we provide other things. But the rest is just different. You can have those things, but if you don't have the preaching of the gospel, you don't have the sacraments, you don't have Christian discipleship, that's not a church. And there are biblical ways. You can't say, well, I've got this new way to do church. Uh, be suspicious of that. This is our flavor of church. Well, careful. There's a billboard. I've never forgotten this down in Delaware. I've I I forgotten the church. But they had this smiling, happy people. And the big billboard said, the end of your search for a friendly church. <laughs> and I said, man, 
that's not very friendly to the other churches, is it? To slam them and say they're not friendly and we're the friendly ones? What, what's going on there? Uh, what's your brand? What's your marketing? Well, no. Preach the word. Baptize. Administer the Lord's table. Bring people there. Discipleship. And of course the Bible says to be hospitable and friendly to all. That's not a unique thing for a church. That's what people are supposed to be. I was a stranger and you took me in. Church is not supposed to be a political action committee. Whether that's a church that's shilling for the right or the left. You don't want a mega church. You don't want a woke church. If you start to get described in those types of terms, uh, all of a sudden... You better be careful. You're not going to be a church. You're going to be somebody that motivates and, and gets people to act uh, politically for something. You're, you've got a different agenda. And you are guilty of what Paul said about taking the straight paths of the gospel and making them crooked. Nothing wrong with the ministry vision. If you were in a city with a large homeless population, you would have to, rather than step over people, you would have to say, look at all these people. What's got them there? Do they know the Lord? How can we help them? Uh, What can we do to to help them listen? How can we serve? How can we love? How can we gather and perfect these saints that God has in this group? You'd ask about the issues and barriers and opportunities in your neck of the woods. New England, we found, we looked and we saw, at the time we came up, it was like 3% of the population was evangelical Christian. It was in the 40s that called themselves Catholics, 40s that said uh, nothing at all, and another 10 to 12, whatever is left over uh, Muslims, Jewish people, uh, Hindus, whatever. And so this was a, quite the place. Another guy that's planting a church in Connecticut took his, and it was less than 1% professing Christians in our, like one county over. He said, this is less than people that go around the globe to plant churches, less Christians here than, than there. And you look and you say it's kind of a post-Christian culture. What did it used to be? Where's people's allegiance? What will they listen to? Well, they need the gospel, but how to effectively reach? And there's nothing wrong with a strategy. Paul and I laugh sometimes. Sometimes I'll say, what would Paul do with a car? There's a pastor we knew one time and he had all the technology and the new toys, and he, he, he lamented the fact. He thought if Paul had only had a car and computer technology, Paul could have done a whole lot more than Paul actually did. And he was kind of glad that at least uh, we had him with his car and his technology because he could do more. Well, what would Paul do with the car? Well, I guess he'd ride in it or drive it or go places. But the gospel would be the same. The heart for the ministry would be the same. And he would plant and Apollos would water and God would give the increase anyway. It's not your toys. It's not slick. It's not uh, package. What are the straight paths of the gospel? 
So make a strategy. Paul would do this. Message being the same. Times change, but the gospel doesn't change. And the formation and mission of the church does not change. The great commission and the great commandments are there for us no matter when we live or where we live. Paul would tell people about Jesus and heaven and hell. He would talk to people about what it means to be spiritually dead and spiritually alive through Christ. He would talk about the need for repentance and faith on a personal level. He would establish elders and deacons in a connected church. He'd talk about failure as a Christian and looking to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He would do all that whether he had a car or a computer or not. You don't need a car or the internet to do that. And maybe the car could be a distraction for you. I'm not saying don't drive a car. I'm just saying whatever toy we think, if we just had this little toy, this little thing, then we can really get the gospel out. No, the gospel's the same. Doesn't have to be a big, shiny megaphone, which most of us don't have. God brings us then in this story from this broader narrative where they had a plan. They went first to Cyprus. They went around the island. They went first to uh, the synagogues. They had John Mark with them. Maybe he was just the the chuck wagon guy that that made the food. Somebody had to do some of that stuff. But they had a team. They had a plan. They had a goal. They had a thing. And the Holy Spirit does not condemn them for the plan. But sometimes we know as we do things, God does his thing. And God brings us in this story from the broader narrative to an incident that is personal. Incidentally, this man, Sergius Paulus, is the first recorded one in the Bible, the first recorded Gentile who was not leaning or tilting toward uh, the Old Testament scriptures in Judaism. He was like a, presented as a total non-believer, first Gentile that came to Christ that way. They didn't have a plan drawn up. Oh, we'll start here, and then there will be this proconsul, and this proconsul will ask us. He'll be like a really smart guy. It says he's intelligent here. He'll ask us, and that will be our strategy. They didn't even know about the proconsul and what God would do in his heart. In the end, we make our plans. We do our best, and we trust God to work. The Holy Spirit and personal salvation. Look what happened. They were on this island, going to the synagogues, came upon this magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. This man summoned Barnabas and Saul. He sought to hear the word of God. That's God opening somebody's heart. That's God having sought out. That's God getting ready to do a work. And events unfolded. Say this about Christianity. I read this book about just this, this a couple months ago. It's the history of soccer tactics. This guy went 
from, from when soccer was invented and how they had the, the defense. It was called inverting the pyramid and how they used to have a lot of defense and offense. And it went to all the different places. This is ironic. I've told, I've told uh, John, I think, and, and Paula this. But I said, Paula, I'm looking for an Argentinian team. She said, River Plate. I said, okay, River Plate is my Argentinian soccer team. And I went home that night to finish reading my book, and there was talking about the soccer in the River Plate area. And I said, oh, that's, a, that's, that's quite the interesting coincidence. But you hear people talk about soccer. And if they don't know about soccer, they'll call soccer itself the beautiful game. Networks do this when they want you to watch that. No, when they're talking about the beautiful game of soccer, they are talking about the game within the game. Uh, Usually the Brazilians get credit for that because they played soccer not just to win, but there was a passing, there was a flow. There wasn't just a drive it into the box and run down and try and kick the ball in. There was the beautiful game. And they said people don't like just wins and losses. They like the beautiful game within the game. But after a while, a coach can come into a team and he can set up a system and he can play the beautiful game. But you know what? If they're not getting the ball into the net and they're at the bottom of the table and they're getting relegated down to the next division, who cares about the beautiful game? Churches can do this. Oh, we want to be this. We want to be that. We want to do it. And all of a sudden, everything gets done except the preaching of the word, the right administration of the sacraments, and the discipleship of the people. So they drew up the, the plan. God said, I've got a plan. I'm going to have this guy call on you, and you're going to share the gospel with him, Sergius Paulus. went to tell him about Jesus. What was Paul's message about Jesus? He says, I preach Christ and him crucified. And as he's talking, they run into opposition. The opposition was a magician, a magic man, Jewish guy that had drifted over into that part of the country. Bar Jesus was what he was called. Bar meaning son of, son of Jesus. Jesus was a common name. He wasn't anything to do with the Jesus Christ, but there were a lot of little Jesuses or Joshua's, a little, little people named that. And, and so he was the son of Jesus. But he was not a son of Jesus. He was in opposition to Jesus. And he did what he could as Paul and Barnabas were sharing the gospel. He worked to oppose them, to turn him away from the faith. We don't know why. Maybe he had a good thing going. Maybe he was jealous. Maybe he was, was, was uh, making a little money here or there. Or he had some prestige. But they came along, and he started to oppose them. And Paul said, this is why Paul said in the text, he said, that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was looking intently at him. And he said, you son of the devil. Why would he say, you son of the devil? Well, he was playing off of his name. You're not bar Jesus, you're bar Satan. You're the devil's son. You're not Jesus' son. You son of the devil. You enemy of all righteousness. 
you full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? Two Greek words in this text, epistrepho, conversion, turning to the Lord. There's epistrepho, what he was doing was diastrepho. He was perverting what they were saying. He was trying to prevent conversion. And Paul said to him, Now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. He was already spiritually blind. His physical condition then matched his spiritual. Paul himself, no doubt, was thinking about when he was blind and had to have people lead him by the hand. It was for a time. A lot of the commentators talked about this is good for God. Maybe, maybe Bar-Jesus also came to the Lord later. Maybe this had an effect on him. But he was temporarily blinded. Jesus himself had said to, to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And we see the two people, the two types of people in the world, and we talk about this a lot. Uh, the world wants to divide us into this group and that group and this group and that group, this special interest, that special interest. This one's ahead of this one in the pecking order. This one used to be, but now they're not, and these are, and they're dividing us all, and we see our identity in, in, in these little groups. And the Bible sees identity as one of two camps. You're a Christian or you're not. You're a Christian or you're not. And this conversion of Sergius Paulus, once the opposition was taken out, is significant. What do we do with the text? What's the application? Uh, I just listed a couple of things. First, remember and recognize the dichotomy that's in this world. There's God and his kingdom, and then there's everything else. Uh, That's the meaning of the word holy, set apart. Uh, When God saves you, uh, he sanctifies you. You are set apart for his work. You are, all of a sudden, you are gods. Belonging to God, not little gods, but gods. God apostrophe, yes. You are gods. Uh, Everything else, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. If there's nothing done about that sin, then you remain in that camp. You can be religious like Paul was before his conversion. You can be irreligious like Sergius Paulus was before his conversion. doesn't matter. Um, singer named Julie Miller wrote a song called Any Lie, and she's talking about the devil. Uh, her husband, Buddy Miller, uh, great Americana artist, produces Willie Nelson albums, sang with Robert Plant, all that stuff. Julie Song said this about the devil. She said, he loves religion as much as crime. Right or left, either way will be fine. As long as you miss walking on that narrow line, all that matters is in the end you're his. So Satan will certainly use religion and religious comfort and religious activity uh, and let people just kind of religiously uh, drift all the way into hell. 
or he will use addictions and, and, and violence and, 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 and crimes that we see as crimes. And either way, the devil doesn't mind as long as you're not belonging to Jesus. See this world for what it is. Second, see that the Holy Spirit operates in and through churches and in and through individuals. God uses his church. And God speaks and and, and operates in churches. He established churches. That's why you've got to be part of a church. He doesn't save you to be the lone ranger out there or to be someone who grazes and goes here and there. Big prayer for, I'm looking at you too, Abishek and, and Tina. We're already praying that when God moves you in six months or so for that church, and, and that's got to be a priority, find a place to worship God together with God's family. Uh, none of us are strong enough on our own. Third, understand that there are straight paths of the Lord and that it is possible for us to make crooked those straight paths. Remember when Jesus healed the blind man? And that guy was, everybody knew he'd been blind. He'd been blind since birth. They'd all seen him. Everybody knew he was, he was blind. And then Jesus healed him. And then politically, enemies came in. Did Jesus do this? Was it on the Sabbath? All this stuff about who did it. And remember the blind guy, he goes, listen, all I know is I was blind, now I see. I'm not getting messed up into your politics and your power structures that are going on. I was blind, now I can see. It is very easy to confuse the gospel of grace with works. We sing your grace is enough, that's what we mean. This may be, some have said maybe it oversimplifies, but here's a good acronym, here's a good starting point if you say, what is grace? God's riches at Christ's expense. That's grace for the Christian. God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's what we need, and that's enough. Easy to confuse it with works, sometimes just to be palatable to the world. I want the world to like me. What's popular in the world now? I will mess this up, and I'll say Christianity is this, plus trusting in Jesus. Sometimes we ourselves get bored with the gospel. Sad but true. We want some pizzazz because we see these shiny things, this fool's gold that that everybody else is, is falling all over themselves for. And we don't understand what real riches are. Sometimes there just happens to be someone named Bar Jesus, a false church even, with Jesus' name on it really bar Satan who's working against the gospel. What does our church have to do and be? We could come back 50 years from now from heaven. What would we hope Christ the shepherd that we've worshipped at and given to and labored in and prayed for, what would we hope is going on? We have no idea what technology will be out there, but our hope would be the gospel's being preached and people are talking about Jesus Christ alone as the way, the truth, and the life. The straight paths of the Lord.
no razzle-dazzle, no this kind of church, no that. There's a cross on which Jesus died. Here are the straight paths, and then we're going to pray and go to the table. There's a cross on which Jesus died. Jesus died as a substitute in place of the people he came to save. The wrath of the Father was poured out on him. The righteousness of Jesus, the eternal Son of God, then, was imputed to God's people. We call it alien righteousness. It's outside of ourselves. And we've been made alive and we live for God now and all the way to heaven forever and ever. And that's the end of the story. Uh, Don't complicate it. Isaiah 40, verses 3 through 5. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley is lifted up, every mountain made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The straight paths of the Lord. Get on that straight path. Come back to the straight path. If you've got a, a faulty GPS uh, that's, that's programmed you in, is leading you astray, get back on that straight path. The Lord, the straight path of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this text. Thank you for Paul's words. We thank you that though uh, Bar-Jesus was there trying to... Uh, ensure that this man, Sergius Paulus, uh, did not become a Christian and, and, and would spend his eternity in hell. We thank you that your Holy Spirit was stronger. We thank you for these words. We thank you for this boldness. We thank you for the blindness. We thank you that Sergius Paulus saw this and believed in the teaching about you. Lord, we pray that you will help us. We pray that you'll help us to to understand and see the straight path of the Lord. Lord, help us as we strategize, as we grieve for people that we see, people we love and work with, who are our neighbors, who we shop with. Lord, help us with our strategies, but we thank you that there's you, through your Holy Spirit, doing the work. Help Christ the shepherd. Help us as individuals. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.